Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. Uh, we are here with Jill Linton, the founder and CEO of Byron-esque. Uh, to my mind, the best uh, vintage fashion um, e-commerce uh, website in existence. And uh, Jill is in it for the love of fashion as much as for the money, which I'm assuming is not that good, Jill. so say hi hi um but what i wanted to you know first of all why why i wanted to bring you on the podcast because we've had some great conversations about fashion in general the two of us and i thought well we should share that with everyone else and also with the ethos of uh, one of the things about the podcast is i want to bring on cool interesting people who are maybe people don't know about because they're not constantly on instagram or in their face and whatnot and, um yeah so i wanted to first ask you actually how you got into fashion in the first place i used to uh, i started out in the um well Back then in the 90s, I was fortunate enough to have a great time in advertising um, until that went very similarly, like like fashion just got really commercial and not very creative and uninteresting. And um, I, while I was working in advertising, I worked with a lot of, you know, the, the pop culture brands at the, at the time, and that included some f- fashion brands I, I, in, in quotes because there were maybe denim brands and things like that, that actually just sort of treat their product a bit like packets of soup when you get to the nuts and bolts of it. But it meant that I started to learn a lot about the fashion industry. And just organically, what happened was that um, the fashion industry, certainly back then and up until recently, or if I'm being really honest, it's still the case. Fashion industry doesn't really understand what brand strategy is in the same way that the sort of traditional world of marketing would use brand strategy. And so I sort of spoke fashion um, and I obviously spoke sort of advertising and uh, there wasn't re- wasn't really anybody else who could bridge those two things, um, as I found out. And so I became... This is by this time I was in New York and um, had worked with a lot of fashion brands and kind of became the go-to sort of strategy person that under you know that spoke fashion and helped fashion brands to sort of stand out in the world um, that was changing so much. You know, you know, mostly volume. Volume was changing at the time. Now, now I think about it, I and mean, it's easy to sit back and say, "Oh, it's all about technology now, and that's fine." But actually, if you really want to get to the heart of what the problem is, it's volume, uh, volume of product. Uh, it's difficult to compete because of there's so much stuff, and then now all of the problems that spin off that. So if that that was the root of the problem, um, and with that, um, I frankly was tired of um, the brands hiring me and not listening they didn't want to hear anything they didn't want to hear don't hire Kate Moss 
They didn't want to hear, <laughs> don't just put an ad in Vogue. They, they, you know, you know, they thought that they wanted to hear it. They thought that they wanted to be provo- provocative. But the truth was and is to a certain extent that the brands don't want to be as, as provoking as perhaps some of the clothes are. Mm. They don't want to be as creative as some of the creative directors and creative teams are. And they don't see uh, a, a role for themselves in the world outside of clothes. And that's not what a brand is about. It's never been about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought, you know, shall I just – actually, the the apocryphal story is – or the true story, rather, is – um, I was complaining about it to a friend of mine that she's turned in New York and he said, look, well, you, stop complaining about it. What do you want to do instead? What would you, what would you do if you could do anything? And I, without realizing it, described Byron-esque. And he mm-hmm. said, well, there's what's stopping you. And actually there wasn't anything stopping me. So I sent myself off on a little trip around Europe and America to talk to vintage retailers and to get a sense of what was happening. And you know, bear in mind, this was like 2011 when I first had the idea. You know, I, would, I was you know, getting investment was impossible. Um, talking to the media, they laughed at me because they said there's no way that people are going to care about old clothes in the way that you're describing it. You know, it's just eBay. It's just all crappy thrift shops. You know, literally, I, I remember people laughing at me. Investors just could not believe that there was any money in one-of-a-kind items, one-off bits of clothing being passed through an ecosystem. Wow. And here we are. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> what a change. Yeah, right. Um, a, 50, a $50 billion change. A $50 billion change, really. And... What do you think drives it? This newfound fascination with vintage. But there are there was always fascination, but it was so niche. Um, and now it seems like it's not. Well, I think I th- I think I think sadly it's dr- driven, and you know me as the cynic, but I think sadly it's driven by perhaps not what we're all led to believe that it's driven by. Hmm. Um, I remember in lockdown, I was interviewed by a number of publications saying that, you know, because you know, all the media, you know, the press was saying, oh, this is a time of reflection. Do you think people really are going to change their ways? Do you think that, you know, we're going to consume less because we've realized how, how little we actually need during this time? And I just called bullshit on it, you know, and, and lo and behold, where where are people lining up the minute that they get released from lockdown? They're at Primark and Zara, and so I to to answer your question in a way that I wish wasn't the truth, and maybe it's not the truth. Maybe it's just what I think, but I think it all stemmed from I can get a pair of Gucci shoes, I can get a pair of Balenciaga sneakers for half mm-hmm. price on the real real. I don't. I can buy a Elvia, a Louis Vuitton bag, all of the signifiers of pop culture fashion brands mm-hmm. were easy to buy. They were cheap for less. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, you know, brands this is, for this less. <laughs> brands for less. It's it's a volume. It's like why am I going to go into Balenciaga and buy a brand new pair when I can get an unworn pair for a lot less? you know, somewhere else. So, uh, you know, and I mean, that sort of takes you back to a whole conversation about 
uh, fast fashion. And I remember getting into a very heated debate with someone once um, because they were saying, well, you know, it's about fashion democracy and people have the right to have nice clothes. And, you know, if they can't afford to go mm-hmm. to Yves Saint or well, pick your brand, it doesn't matter. Um, well, my point was, you know, that the price is a lot greater than the actual cost of the clothes. Um, the effects, the effects of that price is a lot greater than the cost of the clothes. But I get it, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing because if you don't have a lot of money to buy nice clothes, you go to fast fashion, um, and resale came in and went. Well, you can have all of those really nice clothes, and when you know, sometimes we're not that much more than fast fashion. Right. Right. So I think so. So to to expand on the answer that I've given you uh, to address that question, what started to happen is that the industry has got the, the let's call it resale. I we, we don't consider. I, I hate that we're part of the resale thing because it's got it's laden with such ugly baggage. But um, the resale market has become so big um, that it is it. What's happening is exactly what happened in the um, the contemporary market, which is there are different shapes and sizes and tastes for different people. Yeah. So, you know, we, for example, specialize in the niche, you know, as uh, Alex Fury called us, the esoteric, um, the gritty and the <laughs> esoteric desi- uh, things. We like to think that we are leading what's going to be the next sort of vintage brand that everyone's going to want and you know i think we proved that when we uh created a lot of hype around margela a few years ago um and you know and then there's the real real which is true resale and then you've got you know vintage brands that specialize in you know antique you've got vintage brands that specialize in you know maxi dresses and it's all good it's just different Mm -hmm. and then you got on the menswear side this whole hype market that is just insane. Fuck me. I mean, honestly, that I think that might be. I keep every time. Literally, my to do list always just says, uh, "Launch men's properly. Launch men's." And yeah. I, I, and I and I and we do get a lot of. We have a lot of male clients. Um, you know, because we operate on a sort of personal shopping basis as well as the site. Um, so we have a lot of male clients. Um, we are. We, we we get contacted we're increasingly getting contacted by male collectors a lot more who who want to sell mm-hmm. their stuff um and a lot of our male clients buy women's clothes because they are collectors and you know right. it's, it's really the uh it's such a different uh it's, it's such a different uh require of empathy towards a male vintage buyer than it is a female vintage buyer their motivations are so different um oh, yeah yeah it, it's literally We're just collecting trains, you know. Yeah, it's it's the it's the it's the <laughs> chess players. It's the nerdy, cool stamp collectors, you know. And yeah. uh, but it's the 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 obsession about detail and still dick swinging. Of mm-hmm. I know more about this than you. I've got that, and I've got this, and. I'm going to sell this on Grailed for $20,000. Yeah. Even though 
it's not worth it, <laughs> you know. And it's so it's yeah. it's it's again, it's I find it frustrating and yet kind of hilarious at the same time. Mm. But it's moving away from that uh, too. I think I think what we're seeing in a, in a nascent stage is that actually, uh, and I think it's driven by rappers, but there is a small contingent of kids, and it's growing. Where yesterday they were wearing all the hype shit, but today they want something unique. It's sort of their graduation present to themselves. They're like, okay, we want vintage people because we want something unique, right? And and they usually want either Hamlet Lang or Ralph Simmons uh, because Kanye West told them that's cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and maybe Margiela. And that's what, I, like, this is what I'm seeing. Last weekend, I sold, I did a little archive sale, was clearing my closet. I sold... Uh, Ruff Simmons wool gray uh, hoodie, knit wool gray hoodie that I bought in from from fall winter to thousand, and I bought it on a visit to Antwerp in the vintage shop. <clears throat> it was like sixty five euros, and I just put it up, and I all I put it up on my Instagram, and all I said was the last one went on Grail for twelve hundred. I obviously I said I don't want twelve hundred, you know, fuck Grail. Uh, just give me whatever you think is fair. And an hour later, I had a $500 offer in my uh, inbox and I sold it to the first guy I could gain. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but they got lucky. Re- re- and, re- and they got re- lucky, you know, and, and if they want to turn around and sell it for 1200 on you know, that's their business already. I was like, mm. this is just, you know, Merry Christmas. I'm curious about the Grail thing, though, because... You know, things, I don't know. Look, I've got a lot of respect for Grail because they are, you know, they're encouraging reuse and all of that is 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 good. And they've made it, you know, they have a very successful business, I believe. Um, so you can't, you can't knock it. Um, but, you know, we have noticed that a lot of pieces sit, that are, are priced very highly, sit on Grail for years. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wonder why. Um. It's because Grail, and I mean, I am happy to knock Grail. I've knocked it in print, so I'll be happy to do it again. Uh, Because it attracts, it doesn't have the audience, by and large, that appreciates the product. And that's all there is to it. Absolutely. It's pure commerce. And And what I love about what you're doing, I feel like everything you put on there, Jill, is the stuff you love. Yeah, we are. Uh, um, yes and no. Um, it, I, I never don't. Mm. There's nothing on the site that I that I don't think is good. There's every like we are ruthless, um, and we say no to a lot of things. Um, I don't necessarily. I wouldn't necessarily wear everything, you know. But I. I believe in everything that's on the site. Maybe that's a different way of putting in it. I believe that it, you know has an important place in fashion history. I believe that someone will look amazing in it. Um, you know, and I believe it's worth, you know, the the price that it, it's it's at. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe that's a different way of phrasing it. There's nothing on the site that we don't believe in. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and I think where we add is 
and maybe that's another thing about Grail. Like you have to sift, sift through a lot of shit. And with Byronesque, what you get is curation. And I think we are all at a point where we're so inundated with information that a lot of us want to come to a place where they don't have to like wade knee-deep and shit in order <laughs> to get to quality. And I feel like that that's how I operate styles I guys too. You know, like I, I it's it's the respect for your audience in a way. Yeah. And we don't I mean, so Justin, who's our uh, co-founder and creative director, you know, we he's he's really good at reminding us that um we're not here to dumb things down. If you if you need that, that's you can find that anywhere else. So yeah. you know, and that is from you don't need another Chanel handbag. Mm-hmm. You can find that anywhere to, we're not going to tell, you know, if we're doing a piece of editorial or, or telling a, the story about a piece, when, you know, we're going to look at it. We, we have this phrase that we use internally, which is we look for the obscure connections in things um, because anyone can Google anything. Just It's on Wikipedia. You know, the history of every old fashioned brand is on Wikipedia, you know, and, so what's, why we don't no one needs that again they need opinion um or a point of view or a, a different view of things and um you know i, I think the, the best example that we have of that and i may be going off on a tangent but um I, whenever we tell this story people they they they, they get a much clearer sense of how our, our brains work and, and and how we approach things and it was for Michelle Lemmy did uh, Lemmy Land at Selfridges know, two or three years ago now. Um, and she asked us to do the uh, official T-shirt for the event. And at first, you know, I was like, well, why? Well, it was all, sorry, I should backtrack for those who don't know. It, um, it was all around her love of boxing. Yeah. Because she's been boxing for many, many years. And uh, as you can tell because she looks so amazing because of it but um she was kind of connecting fashion and boxing together in this event at selfridges so my you know our heads went well what are we going to do around vintage boxing because that just takes you to it certainly took me to like 1940s men with big mustaches boxing you know yeah. posh thing you know wearing big trousers and but you know that's not us and but and then i said well look before we dismiss it where would we start and so we started literally in the MTV vaults with rappers in the 90s, you know, and LL Cool J, mum was going to knock you out and, you know, the, the rap culture. And it was very easy for us to connect, to start at the Bronx, uh, you know, a period in the 70s when gangs were killing each other um, through to a peace treaty by Africa Bambata through to, you know, people um like gangs stopping fighting and actually spitting each other through rhymes that led to um rap battles that led to LL Cool J mum's gonna knock you out Eminem eight mile you know P Diddy all of the guys dripping themselves in bling including gold teeth which was inspired by mouth guards from boxing so we went, well, let's just put a picture of Michelle's gold smile on the front yeah. of a T-shirt. And, you know, and that led to, you know, people doing rap battles in a boxing ring in the middle of Selfridges. So that for us was a much more interesting way of telling a bit of fashion history 
then just talking about what, how boxers used to dress. I don't know. I don't know what the banal right. version of it would be because we were always trying to avoid it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Well, the ability to connect the dots, I think, is super important. And uh, not a lot of people do that. Not a lot of people do that today also in you know fashion. That's you. Like, by the time... You know, I feel like by the time the clothes get from the show to the showroom and then onto the actual shop floor, I feel like nobody cares. I know, yeah. About the stories. And that story is lost. And that additional value is also lost. And that is just product. Mm-hmm. And where I feel you do, you do great uh, work is that it's not just product. Like whenever I scroll through your Instagram feed, it's never just product. It's clothes that are connected to contemporary history of fashion. There's a narrative that goes through that. And without that, you know, I mean, they're just clothes. Yeah. And I mean, it was sort of going full circle to your first question, and that was one of the reasons that I just got bored of you know, what I was doing at the time before I started it, because that was the same back then. I don't think anything's changed, you know, and, you know, it's kind of, it's sad because, I mean, fashion is supposed to be fun and exciting, you know, and and then you add this new layer on where everyone's becoming a purpose brand. Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> for those of you who can't see Eugene's face um, <laughs> I'm just gonna groan <laughs> and I get it like um but, but but it's it's the purpose washers just like any of the washers that are out there that pisses me off you know but you just got to look at um you know what Ricardo's doing at Chloe you know absolutely go you know making the core of the brand stand for something purpose-driven um, and seeing it through the entire chain and output of the company. Now that I've got respect for and that make that, you know, that's a, a, a new way of making a, a heritage brand very relevant today. I do think that that's cost of entry today. And I think that all brands have to do it. Um, but it, it, it is sort of, I mean, brands are just, it's a little bit of a mess, isn't it? It's like, you know, we're, yeah. we're super cool and like, I don't, sorry, I don't know why I'm jumping all over the place talking of mess, but I wanted to That's play. That's why we got the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. I wanted to play um, like Gucci bingo, like based on the what banal ordinary setting will they end up in next? Like they've done cruises, yeah. they just did the office. It's just like, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's cut stop move on um you know uh so you've got the creative director having fun doing one thing you've got the you know purpose marketing intern doing something else and there's so many different messages being thrown at people from the same brands that it's no wonder that it all just looks like ends up at product at the end of the day because You know, the analogy I always use is if I throw – so, Eugene, if I throw 20 tennis balls at you right now, how many are you likely to catch? You, you Zero. Probably, right. But if I throw one at you, <laughs> chances of you yeah. getting it and grasping it and holding on to it is really high. Yeah. Um, and but that's the what, flip side of that coin is that 
what ends up in stores is just product. You know, like I, I was doing an article, uh, uh, research on an article, and I went to all the mono brands from LVMH and Caring, and it's shit. There's no luxury there. It's just product. There's nothing interesting that I saw. So all these messages look like window dressing. And I was like, well, I have a purpose for you. How about you make exciting clothes? That's a purpose. <laughs> but so, so how do you think they should be getting through or getting beyond just the product? I think uh, we have a great model left in Comme des Garçons, for example, you know, where, or in Recommence for that matter, where they put really ultra stuff on the runway. And there is a sense of narrative and there is a sense of excitement. There is a sense of pushing boundaries. There is a sense of creating something new. Uh, there is a story and that all is backed up by, you know, pre-collection, secondary lines, boutiques and whatnot. You can get the, the, the simpler version of what they're offering at the store, but it's not on the runway. You know what I mean? And it's like my friend Philippe says, you know, commerciality does not make history. As opposed to what I see like from LVMH and Caring from a lot of those brands is that like, why are you putting that stuff on the runway? Like, no, no one's saying don't make it. Like, I understand, like, especially today, just like not that many people want to take risks in terms of how they dress. You want, mm -hmm. they want the feeling of familiar and exciting at the same time. How do you solve that conundrum? You know, you put a logo on a T-shirt, right? <laughs> well, look, there's, there's a couple of things that stand out straight away. You've got uh, Rick and Com, two independent brands versus LVMH carrying big money-making machines. You know, so you, know, two, you picked on two brands, quite rightly, that are independent in spirit and, and at heart. And the model, apart from what they put down the runway, the model isn't that different because, mm -hmm. you know, Gucci is selling a lot of socks and a lot of wallets and bags and slip-on furry shoes, just like Rick's yeah. selling a lot of tanks and sneakers and Com's selling a lot of wallets. Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. But, but, but what is very different is the singularity of message. Com and Rick are the one tennis ball and Kering and LVMH are throwing a lot of balls. Yeah, yeah. Well, it kind of, I feel like at the, at the way, at the level of, at the financial level they operate, they kind of have to. They have to be yeah. mass market brands. Yeah. They are mass market brands. They're just as mass market as Zara. You know, yes. like there's, there's no, like, like, who are we kidding? They just got a much broader spectrum. Like you can still get your old couture and you can still get the logo t-shirt. What I find fascinating, Jill, like remember we had a period where uh, all these big brands had to rein in the licensing, had to rein in diffusion lines because they were all so worried about diluting the brand mm -hmm. 
Uh, and they were like, well, the rich people who are really our clients are not going to buy anymore because we're like, you know, we got Z&G in like 20 stores in yep. every city. I feel like no one cares about that anymore. But they will. Like, just like they, you're absolutely right. It's, I mean, the thing that makes me laugh when you know fashion history, you just see it repeating itself, good or bad. And, um, you know, Calvin Klein, Gucci, you know, Tom Ford came and tidied it up. You could get, um, Christ, in those days, you could get Gucci cigarettes, you could get, you know, all sorts of crap. Um, and, you know, it's happening again. And the licensing model is alive and, and thriving right now. But I'm quite sure that, you know, when right now it's not going to happen because, you know, obviously we live in a world that is reliant on young people spending lots of money collectively. Um, yeah. So you have to provide product for them in order to, to afford and buy. But it will absolutely go back. Somebody, some other creative director will come in just like Tom did and tidy it up and narrow it down and they'll end up buying back licenses. I put money on it. I might, yeah. I might not be around I when it happens. So. I hope so. But, yeah. but I wonder if it's partly because maybe the wealthy – at least in the developed world, sort of have gotten away from buying fashion. Now, I had this conversation with someone. I remember very clearly, I think it was last year, and I said, like, why is everyone so obsessed to catering to 20-year-olds? Like, they don't have real money. And my friend who I was speaking with, he's like, well, go on the upper inside and look what they're wearing. They're all in leggings. <laughs> you know? Like, they're, they're all in leggings. Like, you know, they may have a handbag still to just signal the status, like, don't worry, I'm rich. But like the rest of it, you know, they're not really dressing up. All but that, that hasn't changed either. I mean, I remember that being the only time that that didn't exist was kind of really in the 80s when fashion wasn't even fashion. It was just clothes. And, you know, particularly in London, you think about the new romantic scene and how people just started to get really creative and friend of mine, Eddie Branham, gave me, I think you might know actually, uh, he said one thing, a, a great quote that I use all the time and I take credit for, joking, um, as he always <laughs> said, I, and, and it's been repeated over and over again, so it won't sound new, but uh, when, there's, uh, when there's no money in the world, creativity is the only currency worth having. And, yeah. you know, we interviewed Alex Fury a while back um, for a much um, – let's say mimicked idea that we had about asking people to talk about their favorite vintage fashion shows that they went to. And he wasn't there, but he picked on um, John Galliano's uh, comeback collection that was made from, you know, very cheap fabric because he was bankrupt, you know, and it was one of the best shows he ever did. He didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even Alex says, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what brands would do if they didn't have all the money that they have to create beaches in a building in Paris or you know, build supermarkets in a building in Paris or all of the ridiculous things and waste that this industry engages in, which is the real thing that I object to. But um, I think that uh, money actually stifles creativity. And you know, also you've just got to look at some of the guys that are coming out of Central St. Martins. That's on fire again. You know, you look mm -hmm. at Harris, Harris Reed, you know, look at Richard Malone, you've got, you know, Matty Boven, all these guys, they're amazing. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really how Margiela started, right? Mm-hmm. He, what people don't realize is that so much what Margiela did in the beginning is because he had no money mm-hmm. at all. And that's so he had to start cutting stuff up. He had to get stuff from vintage market and start playing around with it and cutting it up. You know, uh, like one of the first, like, his collections that have, people love so much now is like they bought all those vintage dresses, but because they were so old, they shrunk, like they had to cut them apart. Remember, they cut them apart, like, mm-hmm. and you know, models wore them like uh, over jeans. I think it was like his second Paris presentation. Like, you know, his mom was like, uh, he, his mom was uh, making sweaters for the runway. That's, yeah. I mean, and, you know, that's ingenuity. And, you know, you, you either got that or you haven't. I don't know if it's something that you can learn. Um but yeah, I think I think ingenuity is definitely missing in in the industry. But because things are so easily wasted, and that, you know that goes back to the thing I mentioned at the beginning about volume. It's not really just volume of product, but it's the sort of. I mean, I do. I you know that I do object to the obscene show of creativity that is almost manufactured creativity rather than what feels like real true inspiring creativity yeah no i agree i think it was angelo flacavento who said first maybe not first that it used to be that the shows were there to highlight the clothes and now they're there to hide the fact that the clothes don't matter that the clothes are mediocre and so we so these big brands have to put in even more theater in order to hide the mediocrity of the clothes. And I especially felt that uh, in June 2019, June 2019 was the Givenchy, first Givenchy men's show on the Claire White Keller. It was at Pizzi Uomo, you know, in Florence, Sanctuous Palazzo, on a hill with a view, just stunning. And it's like, it's like impossible not to love, you know, especially after a couple of glasses of champagne and everyone's ready to write a nice review, including myself. And then the models come out and like, by like 15th fluke, I'm like, what am I looking at? And I realized what I'm looking at are very nice, well-made commercial clothes and absolutely zero in terms of ideas. Mm. You know, it, it, it was like they put in a merch. It was like a collection done by merchandisers. Like, uh, you want a bag? We got a bag. You want a hoodie? We got a hoodie. <laughs> you want a nice tailored coat? We have that too. You know, you want a nice big uh, uh, weekender bag? We have that too. But there was like zero in terms of continuity uh, for that. Do you think, but do you think that um, creativity and being commercial are at odds with each other or that they can coexist on the wrong way? Um, They can, I think they can coexist. I just, I I honestly don't know. Maybe, Maybe the time has passed for that. I really don't know because I feel like on some level, 
the designers will keep referring who we hold as the pinnacle of creativity, right? The, the Yoji and Ray, uh, Vivian Westwood, uh, the Antwerp Six, uh, Helmut Lang, Margiela. It was still quite virgin territory they were mining in terms of, there, there wasn't that much history of contemporary fashion. You know what I mean? And by now, so they could put stuff on the runway that they could sell right off the runway, but it was still exciting. It was still interesting. It would still felt fresh. Yeah. Maybe it's just harder now because so much has been done. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I think it is. I think it's a lot harder, and I think being a designer of a, a fashion house is probably isn't that easy if you are. If you if you have to balance creativity and, and commerce, but um, no, back then in the eighties there wasn't a fashion business, and that was all you know. Mm-hmm. You know, Vivian, I you know I often ask myself, you know, I mean, you know, whether it's Margiela or Vivian or you know some of the early McQueen, Lee, like that Lee did, uh, Galliano, if they produced those things today, how would it sit? How would they be perceived? Yeah. You know, would people like them or would they just look odd or would they just look ordinary again so you know it, it, it you have to you know they say it takes at least 10 years to become nostalgic about something um mm. and sort of look at it through a different context so i, I think I, I maybe that's why people are you know are inspired by you know what we call contemporary fashion history i mean i often say that I particularly uh, loved it because in where I'm sitting, the 80s and 90s was really the last point that the creatives were in charge because they didn't have the pressures that exist today. And I don't think, yeah. you know, and I often think, well, that'll be a, there'll be a cycle and, you know, there'll be another generation that exists, you know, and experiences that. But I don't think they will because commerce and technology won't allow that. Mm, yeah. I, yeah, I, well, you know, it's lately been on my mind that, in, the, in this decade, decade that's passing, the only language that's left for us to speak is the language of capitalism. Like, no matter what social cause we speak about, it, we inevitably go back to the language of capitalism. Uh, sustainability, buy this, don't buy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, support black business, uh, defund the police, right? Like it's yeah. always, and so we have a whole generation that's grown up for whom selling is the business, you know, selling yeah. is their life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we were growing up, what was the worst thing for a creative to do, right? What was it? Just to sell out, right? Yeah. Selling out was the gravest sin. Today mm-hmm. is just selling. You know, I've said I'm repeating myself even on the podcast, but but I think I really like people need to get this. No, you're the gravity right. of what we're talking about. And, and, and so fr- you're totally right. No, I, I mean I, I can give you. I was talking to my niece the other day. She's, it's you know a teenager, and she sells, buys, and sells on Depop. And and I was just thinking, okay, when I was a teenager, I was worrying about what my next album purchase was going to be. I was worrying about, 
you know, my leg warmers go with my pixie boots, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> yeah. you, know uh, and, you know, and I think, you know, was, was my hair spiky enough? Do I look like Bananarama? Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it was, I was, I was more interested in loving fashion and experiencing it than I was selling it because yeah. selling it wasn't part of the, the language yeah. or any, you it wasn't impossible. Um, yeah. So, so I wonder if that, you know, God, is it, you know, is this generation really going to love fashion in the way that we, well, I say we, I'm older than you, that, than I did. Um, because, you know, even if you like influencers on Instagram will say they love fashion, but really do they just love that picture being taken more than they love the things they're wearing? Of course. There's no question about it. It's, right. it's all, you know, I say the only filter on Instagram that matters is the me filter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I just, we were to go back to what you were saying at the question of audience. I, that's what we're really talking about. It's so important. And I and I think you're absolutely right. And you really put your finger on it when you say, in the 80s and 90s, the audience was different. Mm-hmm. There was audience for these clothes. That's number one. And number two, commercial success was almost disdain. You know, it was like, how do we make the best clothes possible, the most interesting clothes possible? And the money will come. And where did we get this idea that, like, you need to make millions? Like, you can't just make a living and do mm. what you love for a living, but you got to get Oh, well, rich. that's just the fabricated bullshit of, of the investment world as it is. I mean, I was just about to say that, um, you know, back then you, you, it wasn't that difficult to be – quote unquote successful you know you didn't have to sell that much to be able to make a profit because fabrics didn't cost as much being able to get into a store and sell and you know have retail partnerships wasn't as difficult you know level of competition wasn't there and um and today it's 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 so much harder and there are these sort of false expectations of to your point that you know you have to but, you know, so, you know, a lot of investors, not not all of them, and certainly not the some of the investors that uh, well that we're fortunate enough to have supporting us. They recognise that you know you can be successful and you can be profitable and make a, a decent amount of money and still retain integrity and quality. You know, mar- there's you know, it's, you either make a lot of money out of a margin, a profitable business that way, or you make a lot of money selling a lot of crap for a smaller margin. And yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if, if well, it's you the, sell a lot of crap and with a huge margin, which is really well, yeah. what's happening. <laughs> I was just about to say, I'm not quite yeah. sure where the big yeah, groups sit within that, but you've just answered it. Um, uh, this is what's happening. I know. I, yeah. Like, what are those logos here? I mean, I did the research for that article I wrote about t-shirts. You know, it costs Valentina to make the t-shirts as much as it costs, you know. I know, but, 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 but you're not just paying for the t-shirt. I mean, I know this is kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be sure. telling some of your audience to, you know, grannies to suck eggs and all those analogies. Um, but, you know, you're paying for the, 
massive show that they put on. You're paying for the or hundreds of influencers that they hire. We're paying for the over possibly overpaid designers and I mean I do I mean this is gonna sound sounds I don't know I'm just gonna say I I, I, actually you wrote an article about it and I couldn't agree more fashion is too expensive things things are just insanely expensive and you know if you if you if we had an insider glimpse at the supply chains and what you know the the, the p and l's and what things cost how much of it is really superfluous Do you, you know and and how successful oh, would lots. fashion brands be without all of these big shows mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's kind of in a way i think you're getting to the crux of what i feel when i see those prices i feel uh and maybe it's the Brooklyn Jew in me. I don't know. But, but I feel like, uh, are you insulting my intelligence here? Because mm-hmm. I'll personally, I'll have none of that. You know, it's like, it's almost like I'm paying for the product. Or rather, you want me to pay for the product. You want me to pay for all these vapid fucking influencers and celebrities that you fly to your shows regal with free shit and you want me to pay for the lavish lifestyles and all that and i'm like uh-uh, no mm. you know let, let someone else do that i don't i don't mind and and, and if, as an audience you cannot make a connection then you know maybe you should, <laughs> should think about it a bit more well but what you are you're re- reminding me that the um what's what's interesting in the world of fashion and particularly the world of vintage fashion is that you've got a certain audience who don't still don't quite understand why something older is perhaps sometimes more expensive than the new thing. But what we are starting to see even in China. And so if it's starting to emerge in China, you know that the the, attitudes towards fashion in the world is changing a lot. You know that the the emotional and financial value of of investing in something old um, that is good and well made and has a history is sort of superseding a new thing that you can buy that everybody else has got. Um, it's a very it's a different value equation. And I think when we started Bionesk, we believed that that value equation was going to become big you know it was going to be real um and we are we are seeing it now but i think there's still there's still a long way to go i mean there's still a definite um uh what's the word you know we, we, you know people still can't quite believe that uh, you know something they don't recognize the value in something that's old we still get a lot right. of um back chat you know uh, but you either get it or you don't right now. And hopefully that culturally will, will, will continue to shift. Yeah. 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 Because uh, yeah, at, like... at, at the end of the day, we're always, you know, uh, and I think this is something else that we're quite different about. We did a, uh, we did a partnership with a retailer, a retailer and, um, 
whenever we get asked to do things, we always just say, okay, who else are you doing it with? Because, you know, we, we're not, we're not going to sit alongside a resale brand. We're mm-hmm. not, when we're not, you know, we're, we're not like, we're not a dumping ground for old clothes because we want to look sustainable. Um, and so we say no a lot. Um, but when we get the chance to explain to people that our point of view of sustainability, because that's why we get asked to do things by retail industry, um, because we check a box for them. Um, and, and, you know, with the greatest respect and we, uh, are grateful they do recognize that we have a strong point of view and so that is appealing um but we always say uh we're about longevity i actually mm-hmm. don't think that the resale model is solving sustainability's problem and i don't think renting is solving the sustainability problem because oh. you know the you just got to add up all of the things that we just added up to just work out what a cost of a t-shirt is you know but the cost to the planet is cleaning rentals all of the shipping for the rentals they eventually the mm-hmm. clothes eventually turn out so like shit they, they end up in a landfill anyway because yeah. you know you just yeah. can't you know yeah. and even if you do end up recycling them the 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 the, the cost of recycling uh, in terms of you know ecological impact is huge recycling is only a bit of the solution because it actually churns out more emissions or as many emissions as it does um to to make new ones so there's a whole myth around recycling um so you know and then there's the encouraging people just to buy and sell the whole time or just buy more shit because i know i can just sell it so it's not really solving the sort of mental it's not retraining us to to have better better intentions and so but we're never allowed to say that like you know the the retailers won't let us I you know <laughs> no and you and i would say it here but you know we you know we want to say this is all about longevity just buy it and keep exactly. it and if you don't think you're going to keep it don't buy it and yeah, hopefully what yeah. bionesk is here to do is to help you make the right decisions about things that you should be able to keep for a long time yeah whether it's because it's going to be investment because you're a collector and an archivist. Yeah. But like I see like kids buy stuff, right? And even if it doesn't fit them well, they don't alter it. Like I alter pretty much all of my clothes, you know, because I'm short, I alter the sleeves. Sometimes I take it in, you know, to correspond to my body. No one really does that because the mentality is I'm going to buy it, wear it, and I'm going to sell it. Yes, and I'm going to offer this, but I know it's not true. I would like to think it's because um, if they do want to resell it or it's something like, for example, if you know someone comes to us with a riot, 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 raft top and they cut the sleeves off, they fucked it. It's not worth it's not worth it. So it depends what it is. I, I'm quite sure the kids aren't doing that because they don't want to jeopardize the integrity of a garment. So I'm agreeing with you, and I, you know, but hope you know, I would hope that they don't do that for a different reason. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I yeah, but it's like you. I hope I. I always thought, you know, you buy 
the clothes and you do have a sort of a relationship with it. You know, you get attached to what you wear. There's an emotional connection. And I think, and that's where longevity also comes in. You know, it's not only about the quality of the garment itself, which of course has to be quality in order to last, which we should have that conversation as well. Mm. Uh, but it's also the emotional attachment you develop. And that's why I always love like the fashion that's culturally connected because it reminds me of something else, you know, whether it's a, my favorite band or an artist or a book. And it doesn't have to be a definite connection, you know? but I always give this example, how I fell in love with uh, Andy Milanister's clothes is that, I went into Barney's for the first time in my life. You know, we're talking about like 99. And I saw these clothes for the first time in my life because before that I thought fashion is like Versace and Dolce & Gabbana. Mm. And I saw these clothes for the first time in my life and I thought, holy shit, like that's fashion? Fashion can be that? This is the stuff I wear because I listen to Nine Inch Nails. It's just like infinitely better Mm. than what I'm wearing, you know. You could see, like, it fits well. You could see the quality of the materials. But I was not a fashion expert. I've never, I didn't know who Anne is. I never read an interview with her. But I looked at those clothes and I thought, the person who made them had to listen to punk. Yeah. They had to read certain poetry. Or they wouldn't be able to make that clothes. So... Having that imbued, but how wonderful is that? It, it, it is. It was, it is. you know, that that's 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 what that's how I fell in love with fashion. That's and what then art years does. Later, that's what great art. Sorry to interrupt, but like, let's yeah. put it on put it put it on the pedestal it deserves. You know, that's what great art does. Yeah, exactly. And, and, Justin will be laughing when he hears me say that because he he knows a lot about art, and uh, and I don't, but. Um, but this, the, sen- the sentiment is, is an important one. Yeah. And I feel I don't know where to go for that anymore. Well, with, isn't, with that ex- with very few exceptions. isn't that where Barney's totally. fucked up? I mean, can you imagine if they'd done that? I mean, like you, I remember the first time I went into Barney's they'd, and then just became white boxes full of pro- yeah. you know, talk about product. I mean, that's what it was. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, just became another shop. I know, and they're coming back. I mean, surprisingly. Yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> this is, this is going to be like Terminal 4 JFK Air like, type <laughs> yeah, of I know, shit. isn't it? I know, Saks have bought them and they're going to put Abani's in Saks. I mean, if that doesn't speak to how fucked up the fashion world is. It's just like, it's like being John Malkovich of, of retail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Imagine like, now we're going to like put Burger King in McDonald's and like, let's see what happens. Yeah. But you know that for decades, the marketing people at Barney's were saying, but we, we are different from sex. We can't, yeah. we, we can't compete and we can't be the same. Or like, um, yeah. At some point, people will catch on and see, like, okay, this is just you sprinkling you sprinkling tinsel on a Christmas tree. Like, there's no substance here. Mm. And I am very, I'm interested in what you said, you know, about the Chinese consumer like starting to have that mentality. 
because that's the conversation I mentioned earlier was about that. It was also about it, uh, young Chinese kids who are starting to move, move away from sort of lowest common denominator hype shit and looking for something unique simply by virtue of it being unique. And, and, I, and I do think it's a sort of a learning curve and sort of like, you know, uh, I remember my old professor saying, it's like, it's everything is association principle. You know, if you starve, you start eating indiscriminately. And as you get fuller, you start picking out the more, the, the tasty morsels mm. um, for yourself. And my hope is that that mentality actually will drive people to really look at history of fashion and just say, okay, I bought this, but maybe there is more to that than it's just being unique. Well, I mean, I think China's uh, quite eye-opening in that regard as well. Um, I mean, it was, we, we've tested the Chinese market a couple of times. And uh, the first time we did it, God, four or five years ago, it was still very much um and not even an emerging market because culturally they're so superstitious that they believe that if you wear the clothes that belong to someone else, you literally are wearing the clothes of a dead person. So just culturally it was a, a, you know, a, a no-no. But what we learned was that the younger generation were coming in, and to your point, they knew these designers because we we rocked up and it wasn't just vintage, it was contemporary vintage and it was the designer brand names that they knew. Right. So we were starting to sort of make them feel better and safer about buying into something that was old um, straight away just by the nature of how we approached uh, vintage. Um, and then... I mean, obviously, the you know the the logo influence is starting to wane over there, and like you say, they are looking for things that you know are unique and different. But at the same time, then um, this this might sound like a negative, but it's actually a great thing. They want new things, but they want to know why. You know, it's not. You know, and mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with a famous brand recently, and. They they recognize that you can't just rock up in China and just say, hey, look, we are this brand and here's our stuff. You've got to make it relevant to them. You've got to give it yeah. context. And when you think about it, that's no different from what brands should be doing in their own market, let alone in, in a foreign market. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's inspiring that there's a generation who want to know why, you're, why you want me to care. Yeah. And you know, and if that, and so it's much, so it, the great thing about vintage is it's imbued with stories that no one ever can can make make up or or, or recreate. You know, designers today, you get your you know your show notes on your chair, and it's the inspiration of the designer. And you know, yeah, maybe, you want to kill yourself. Well, maybe we'll be talking <laughs> about how inspiring that was in twenty years' time. And we talk a lot about future vintage and the pickings are really slim, but, you know, like mm. you say, you pick the Rick, the Ricks, the comms, that's all the usual suspects, um, which is a shame. Um, I, I, I'm starting to see that change though with some of the younger designers. Um, but there's, the stories have yet to be created and some yeah. of them will have great stories, 
but I think a lot of them won't. Um, and so that's another reason why I think people are looking back at Vivian and all those brands that really literally were creating fashion history. And I'm sure they didn't know it at the time. I bet Margiela didn't know it at the time. Yeah, yeah, he certainly did. I'm sure he didn't. But the thing is that though, so two things. One is that those designers were, first of all, very well educated culturally. And they could connect the clothes to the rest of the culture. Uh, today, like when I read interviews with young designers, many of them or hear them speak, like I just want to throw myself out the window. <laughs> I mean, like they really have nothing to say. Like, well, I am just expressing myself. Like what the fuck? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, can you tell me? And this is why I love interviewing Rick, for example, like Rick Owens. Rick is like the last culturally literate designer mm -hmm. that I know. You talk, he's just a pleasure to talk to. He will explain to you all the references and you can see it in the clothes, even though they're very much his own. And he's just a really intelligent guy. Mm. And then but, you talk to some... But yeah. also very importantly about Rick is he will share, he openly shares it. There's a, you feel like you're... I guess this goes back to a thing about how do you go beyond just selling product? You know, like when, when you sort of enter the Rick Owens universe, you're, you fit, you know, you, you are learning about so much more. I mean, his inspirations, he, he's very open about his inspirations and that clearly comes with confidence of, of being very talented because there are so many fashion designers that use um, their inspirations and try and hide them. In plain yeah, sight. But, yeah. But I'm, I'm, all, I'm always, like, I always hold that suspect. I'm always like, are you really doing that or do you simply have nothing to say? And actually, sometimes the work is good, mm. but they're like, they still, you know, they, they still can't, like, I'm expressing myself, like, that, that, that should be, like, thrown out the window, those words. Just forget that that phrase exists. You know, you have to go beyond that hmm. if you want to create something meaningful. But there are, no. do you know what, though? There are some designers and um, there's, there's, a, there's a good handful that I could I could give you an example of. But um, uh, Goom, who uh, I think she graduated from Century St. Martins two, three years ago. Brilliant story behind it. You know, she's from Korea and she was in Korea visiting her parents and she was working on her like thesis for and her last her, her collection to graduate and um she was inspired by how people dress in Korea traditionally and i don't mean traditional traditionally as in hundreds of years ago but just like people on the street but it wasn't street culture it was inspired by you know how when they're all hot, they just lift their t-shirts. Like it was a very common thing that the guys would lift their t-shirts up in half, and they just walk around with fat bellies and things like that. And <laughs> um, so, you know, and I didn't, I, I didn't see. You can't see that straight away in the designs, but when you hear that story, you recognise mm -hmm. it's come from a culture, and she's modernised it. 
And, yeah. you know, she, she's one of the, you know, if there were an Antwerp six today, there'd be people, you know, there's, there's, there's probably five or six that are picked to be um, like the very new creative designers. And, you know, she came out the gate with an idea. It, was, it wasn't just yeah. clothes. It was an idea. Um, right. So, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to choose. Are you more optimistic than I am? <laughs> no, I don't think anyone would call me optimistic. I'm definitely the glass <laughs> half empty person, but um, I'm hopeful, yeah. which, is, which, which yeah. is different. And it was just reminded me about something else that I wanted to say, and I'm going completely back to something else. When we talked about things being uh, buying things and wearing it for a long time and keeping things and the idea of and connecting that to the idea of sustainability, and the, the one of my other bugbears, and I'm switching gears completely a bit here. One of the things that really pisses me off about fashion is that people think that longevity and sustainability um, you, and clothes have to be timeless and classic. I mean. Talk about throwing yourself out of window because someone said they're expressing themselves. I'm expressing myself, but it's timeless and classic at the same time, right? I mean, how many times have you? Um, <laughs> yeah, how many times have you heard yeah. that? Yeah. And 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 yeah. so. Well, this is the contemporary mentality: have your cake and eat it. We yes. want. Well, every- but it's because that generation has been told that they can. And I did read a brilliant article. No, I watched a brilliant interview with some guy. I don't even know who it was. Digressing again, but he said, "Look, it's not." the millennials fault they've been raised to think that they can do and have anything they want always yeah. always blame yeah. the parents yeah, yeah. i know <laughs> so but anyway yes. this whole thing about timeless, and, <laughs> timeless and classic is um i mean that's not what we're about i mean i hope we seem to be the opposite of it you know longevity should be about yes quality of course but it should be about cultural relevance not about timeless or classic culture because it's culturally relevant to me in your barney's example is per you know this is a perfect example of what what we mean by that so resell timeless and classic is if anyone thinks that's what we are i i'm here to put the record straight (laughs) (laughs) so how are you going to going forward what do you want to do with byronesque in the world where like big tech coming in and fucking shit up, you know, creating a supermarket for everything. Well, it's been an interesting year for us, as it has, I'm sure, for many people. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's helped us to really uh, sit with and feel good about how we're different and and I think that that's really important and, and it's helped us define some of the things that we're working on right now and plan for, for next year. Um, you know, it was never, when we started this, it was never our intention just to sell old clothes. We're, we're not, we're sort of, yes, we sell old clothes and arguably, you know, we are, yes, we're a vintage shop if you want to call it that, but it was always the intention to be the, vintage contemporary vintage voice of a generation and a brand Mm. that could flex in many different ways you know the the contemporary vintage thing is just how we see the world and the michelle Lamy boxing analogy is an example of that you know obscure connections can take us anywhere you know um 
we're selling new clothes because we're encouraging people to buy things that we perceive to be future vintage. Um, you mm-hmm. know, if you are going to buy something new, here's what we think you should be investing your money in. Yeah. Um, the reissue side of things, um, again, was something that I hoped that we would do. Um, and we did. We started last year because we reissued and brought back the Claude Montana brand. And I think, you know, reissues is one of those things because, you know, you're making more, arguably you're making more stuff. And so, you know, on paper, people might think that we're hypocrites because, you know, we're manufacturing. But um, we're not just here to preserve the planet. Um, we're also here to preserve creative integrity and you know montana for for example was incredibly influenced in the world of fashion history i mean rick is highly inspired by montana in fact interviewed him i think last year or the year before for another magazine is very open about the fact that he was a big influence on him actually becoming a fashion designer um you know, there are loads of designers out there that owe their careers to Montana. And, you know, it's a bit of a curse when you do know fashion history and you know a lot about a lot of different fashion brands and their, what they produced. You can see it on the runway every time there's a new show. And I, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because, you know, uh, you know, the great analogy is Steve Jobs didn't invent the, iP- you know, the iPod the Walkman right. did, <laughs> you know, he just made it better. Right, right. It's just different yeah. and better. So you have to have inspiration somewhere. Um, and I, I, I hope that we contribute to that inspiration with the good and the meaningful and the obscure. So reissues for us are about, you know, reviving the loved and longed for um, and bringing back brands or even collections of existing brands that, um, are culturally relevant today and deserve the credibility for what they've done in in you know fashion history, and obviously doing that in a in a in a, a sustain the most sustainable way possible. Um, that's that that's also you know whether that's reuse upcycling. I mean, we were just about to launch. Uh, I mean, you'll laugh at this. We're just launching Byronesque Bridal. <laughs> and the reason we're doing it is that because it fucks with people's heads because it's like why would Byroness do bridal? It's just not us <laughs> at all. But um, you know, you know, sadly, uh, AF Van divorced, you know, closed, and know. Um, very, you know, you could use you know the similarity between them and Demille Meister and their approach and how you felt when you found Demille Meister is you know very similar. So. Um, Anyway, to cut a long story short, they uh, we get we we get a lot of brides coming to us asking for Westwood corsets, and you know we're always <laughs> saying no. But what about this wonderful com dress? <laughs> you know, it's like right, you know yeah. we're always trying to encourage brides to be very different um, when they do come to us. Uh, you know, and I and I spoke to the, to the guys at Van der Voorst and you know in 2019 they created a bridal collection because it was their 20th wedding anniversary. And it was made from oh. and it was made from upcycled eighties and nineties wedding dresses, and it's fucking awesome. If I told you it was calm, you you know of that level right. of showmanship, you know, um, yeah. the equal. But any bride would look very different and unique and, and stunning. And so, if there were ever to be a Baroness wedding, this was it. 
and it was all upcycled. And so the maths was just there. And so, uh, but funny, we're doing it, we're actually doing it as our Christmas campaign. Um, And we're calling it third time, (laughs) third time lucky. Like if you've maybe been divorced and you want you don't want to wear a traditional wedding <laughs> yeah. dress, because um, more people get married, uh, pro- get are proposed to on Christmas Day than any other day. Uh, so oh, yes, really? yeah, there was That's a great weird. there was a great headline in um, Women's Wear Daily about us a couple of years ago. We did a we did a uh, an advent calendar, but it was from a sort of kidnappers basement who had kidnapped all of these really amazing bits of clothing and they're just hanging in this sort of silence of the lambs type basement and it was just like the i mean it, it sounds it, it, it visually it looked it was um you know cctv camera and it was all dated mm. and that kind of stuff and women's wear daily said um byroness cafe uh, uh unsentimental view of life um so we're back with a unsentimental view of marriage for, for this christmas <laughs> that's great but you hey, know what it's, got it's married last year it's um, <laughs> yes, yes. well you see if only we'd had that collection then we would have dyed it black oh, i know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um yeah. but you well, know my, my, my bride went with rick so it's fine well, they, <laughs> even, be, well. <laughs> even better um you know and that's uh, but that's an ex- you know p- there's going to be a lot of people who don't even get what the hell we're talking about and that's uh, I, sure. I, I for us that's an example of obscure connections but also just not dumbing anything down exactly you either get it you don't or you don't want to but don't you feel happy i know i do that there's enough audience even on that scale i'm like oh dear god thank you there are other people that (laughs) love what we do like i already feel grateful you want more of them of course well of course we all want more of them but that's and that's um you know and that's why and, and I know you do it, you know, when, when, when one reads your work, you know, it's, it's inspiring and it's educate, educational without preaching. Um, and ho- but hopefully what we're all doing is inspiring more people to feel confident enough and interested enough in the more niche, gritty and esoteric, to use Alex's words, things. Um, but, you know, I remember, oh God, who was it? I can't remember who it was. We, was. we were talking to investors before we got going and, uh, you know, at a point where we almost gave up because, you know, as I told you, we, people were laughing at us. No one's going to buy old clothes. Um, someone did say, you're not special. And at first I kind of took that personally because, of course, yeah, of course, that's the whole point. We want to be special. But they were right. saying, look, there's other people that think like you. No one, yeah. you know, has – completely unique thoughts or a completely unique point of view so mm. um the, th- the thing today is just connecting with those people yeah it's hard yeah. to you know, and also having the energy to realize your ideas ideas are cheap it's it's the execution that's <laughs> it's the execution yeah, that's what absolutely real. yeah and you yeah, know the fucking instagram world of when I, when I speak, and I speak for justice. The river well. of manure. Yes, it's just like <laughs> fuck, and and it's it's also heartbreaking because you know. And thank you for saying you know I'm looking at your Instagram and it you know there's narratives behind it. We do we do try and uh, as much as our exhaustion will allow. We 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 do try and 
approach it with person, you know, I, you know, an attitude, and if it were going to be printed in a book, that it would wouldn't embarrass us. Um, but the, it is disheartening when you kind of read about no one's even seeing your shit because of algorithms, and if you haven't got a cat in it, then you're really yeah. fucked. Hashtag Kim yeah. Kardashian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, I mean, what's left for us to do is to cultivate mm-hmm. our uh, audience and just, like you said, inform without preaching and just really share our worldviews. Like, that's really all. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's really all that we can do, uh, you know. No, absolutely. absolutely. And you've just got to... Because you can't compete. Like sooner or later, like anything you do, like a big corporation is going to move in on that turf and you're going to have to, like, you're going to have to deal with that. But they are, but they are, but they are already, but they are already. And, And I think this is what I meant when I said this year, we've sat with our difference and realized that anyone can sell old clothes. My niece is selling right. it on Depop. Like my mum could sell it if she wanted. You're selling that. Like anybody can sell old clothes, and mm-hmm. everyone thinks they're a vintage store now because you can get it on Linktree <laughs> yeah. and Depop. And but no one's going to do it the way we do. No yeah. one, you know, like no one's going to write like you do. No one, yeah. no one can replicate style zeitgeist. No one. It's impossible. Thank you. It, it, but it's it's a fact. Like if you hand it over to someone else. It would yeah. absolutely be different, and it's the yeah. same for Byronesque. You know, um, you know, we have people who are, as we quote unquote, Byronesque, and in their approach and the team we work with, they get the brand, um, but no one else is going to be able to replicate that brand. Yeah, but it, it, uh, well, thank you first of all, and I feel likewise uh, about what you're doing. But I feel it goes back to what. I said before, if you don't have the education and the passion and the cultural connection and the knowledge, then all you have is just a shell. And look, there, there are a thousand Instagram accounts that sell old, that sell vintage helmet lying and rough Simmons. Like we all seen them. <laughs> Personally, I'm like, where did they get all this shit from? Like, I didn't know Helmut has made so much stuff. Like, didn't he burn it all and made it into artwork? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we do say just because it's old doesn't mean it's good. And all of the great designers have made crap. So, But a lot of people don't know how to distinguish that, the good and the bad. And so that's why you just see a lot. But if you really nitpicked and pulled out the really great stuff, it would be quite, it would be considerably less. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything in like in your own closet that you like let go and then later you were like, oh, I wish I hadn't. Oh my God, <laughs> you have no idea. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> the thing that I will let people know, um, and it, I, I don't hide this. I say it whenever I get asked the question, people think I've got a huge personal archive and I, and I haven't. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a, well, first of all, I'm sitting here wearing a world net hoodie. <laughs> Shout out to World. Net. <laughs> no, I noticed that. <laughs> yes, uh, I also have one in black. Inside joke. <laughs> um, so, fashion professionals inside joke. If you know about, it ain't no fucking DHL. You have to know about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. About it. Oh, also, fuck, fuck FedEx. While I'm here, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I mean that. If you're listening, FedEx. Um, <laughs> 
yeah, I, I, I kind of, I live like a, I live like a monk. I don't like a lot of furniture. I don't like a lot of stuff. I don't have a lot of clothes, but I, I, I practice what I preach. I, you know, I, I'd rather buy less things and keep things for a long time. And I, you know, I just have my own way of throwing it all together. And, um, I have a uniform, but it doesn't necessarily look like the same uniform every day, just in the way that I buy things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it wasn't always like that. There was a moment where I spent far too much money on clothes and, but didn't realize what I had. And I either just gave them to friends or, you know, put one, put a few things on yeah. eBay, but I think, I think I must've just given them away. I mean, I, I was a, you, you'll be surprised about this because um, most people are given the way that I, I look now. But um, I was a big Stella McCartney at Chloe fan. Really? Yes. So you're talking London 98, 99. It was that sort of London rock chick thing. I was, right, 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 I was right. in advertising. I had the whole fucking lot, like everything but I then I came to New York and people didn't really know what it was so then I went in on it heavy because it wasn't quite the context was different Mm -hmm. um so I so I was way more unique and yeah so then I started buying a lot more of it and and so I uh Alex interviewed us recently and he asked me what I thought the next vintage brand was going to be and um I have been wrong about my hunches before. I will just put my hand up and mm-hmm. say that, but I have a feeling about that that nineties clique, um, McCartney at Chloe, and those sorts of sorts of brands. That's on the sort mm-hmm. of mainstream side of contem- of our contemporary yeah. vintage world. Um, I also believe that the independent creatives are going to have their moment. As for now three as four, I think those sorts mm. of brands are going to start to have a moment soon. Yeah. Basically, seven. I'm surprised that McQueen is not there. McQueen is I'm a staple. Um, it's how can I say this? Um, what if a brand still exists today? How it behaves today has a big impact on its vintage um, relevance. It's all context, right? Yeah. McQueen today yeah. it's never going to be the same as it was and so no. unfortunately until there's some cultural relevance given to the older Lee stuff it's the people who were there the first time around who are basically keeping the vintage cycle going yeah. and it pretty much yeah. ends with Lee right yeah no for sure there is I mean talk about the last of the Mohicans like. yeah and I think when he went, that was sort of like when he went and Galliano got fired after that from Dior, I think this was like the last time these luxury brands said, you know what, well, these people are a fucking liability. We're just going <laughs> yeah. to hire corporate mm-hmm. people who are going to fall in line, not cause trouble, and going to be spick and span. And well, and look what that did for Balenciaga and, La- and Wang. Yeah, garbage. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Garbage in, garbage out. That's that's what happened. And the excitement 
has been taken out of it. And like you said, the fun has been taken out of fashion. Where's the fun and fashion today? I mean, when you think no. back at it, you know, Lee McQueen showed in interesting places. Margiela showed in interesting places. He showed in, he was the first to shoot in a metro underground. Yeah. Sorry, to, to show, you know, that they didn't require lavish sets. You know, often, and look, I know, you know, McQueen obviously ended up having very lavish things, whether it was technology or water and all that kind of stuff, but there was still simplicity around it. And that yeah. didn't detract, to your point, didn't detract from the clothes. And also, mm-hmm. well, you know what I miss? I miss the bravado of great designers. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. love him or hate him, like John's. Yeah, they were personalities. Yeah, I, I you know, and um, I, I do miss that. And that's, you know, that's part of the, the joy and the excitement of it. But it's nothing unless it's backed with talent. Yeah, exactly. It's like Oasis. Oh, well. It's like Oasis. Right. You yeah, could be the exactly. cockiest motherfucker on the planet. <laughs> you're one of the, one of the most famous br- br- uh, bands in the world. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly it. It's this rock star mentality yeah. that's sort of that's gone, and everyone is so pleasant. And Virgil Abloh is just so pleasant. He's just so nice. It's nauseating. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually pleased when he said streetwear was going to die. We did a whole pop up about it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, but then he, re- but then the he retracted will it. Have, yeah. The consumer will have the the last word on that, and and that's another thing where we haven't addressed it. Consumer is king today. You know, they know what they want, and they are being given what they want, and no one's challenging the consumer. Yes, and that pisses with me off a lot. Exceptions, with few exceptions aforementioned, but you know, and why would they? They're like, okay, this is what you want. This is exactly what we're going to give you. And to your point, you know, to that point of commerciality doesn't make history. Maybe they're going to pay for it down the line, but I don't know if the brands are going to pay for it or is it the designers are going to pay for it? Hmm. Or forced to put out this bullshit. Oh, the designers. Can you separate the designers from the brands anymore? And this actually takes me on to another point, the thing that, that is I find quite frustrating um, is... The, the the death of the fashion brand, whereby you know the designer is look at Eddie. The designer can go in and design what they want, and with very some, with very <laughs> little <laughs> reference of, of the DNA yeah. of, of the brand. And you know th- that's also another reason why some brands fuck up on doing reissues. You know they think, oh, this is old. We'll just reissue this, but it looks exactly like your current collection, or it's just not relevant. Yeah. No one's wearing that anymore. Why, you know, um, and it goes back to the just because it's old doesn't mean it's good thing. But um, right. you know, you, these days, I was going to say, you, you you prompted me to question: is, is the, the, the brand is the design, and the designer is the brand. Even now that they're plucking at, plucking less famous designers to to do stuff because because of commerciality, I would guess. Or are we running out of Johns and Lees and the bravado? 
Um, I, I think the brands won't let them do that kind of stuff yeah. anymore. Uh, because A, it's a liability. It's a double liability in the world of social media and cancel culture and overzealous political correctness because one wrong move and you're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also expensive. Yes. <laughs> Those McQueen shows were expensive. You know, and, and Sarah Burton's shows are not expensive. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's all, you know, the, and I think that's kind of about that. Uh, I, I've written about it for High Snub. I don't know if, if you haven't read it, I'll send you the link. You know, it was an article called Do Fashion Houses Need... Do Luxury Houses Need Fashion Designers? And it's all about that. And was it a yes or a no? No. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't. They need, they need good merchandisers and accountants. I think they need it all. I think I think that's the perfect. I I think you know, no man is an island, no brand is an island, and I think if you don't get the balance right, I think that's where it all goes wrong. It's like yeah, I agree. You know, if if and also for go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, you know, the the great, you know, you know, you talk about Rick and Com. It was like Mark Jacobs. They had great partners great yeah. partners in crime and they had a good yeah. balance they have a good balance of how it works yeah but uh, also what i think the con- conglomerates forget they need the entire fashion ecosystem to keep fashion exciting because and i had this conversation before where like you know young people aren't that much into fashion because it's kind of boring in, uh, so a lot of them are actually into thrifting mm-hmm. right a lot of them are into vintage uh and part of it is you know environmental concerns and but part of it i think is like fashion is unexciting and that's what the conglomerates forget if you you are in the fashion business so you need the entire ecosystem to keep fashion exciting for you to profit from it you need the recurrences and the Comme des Garçons and the undercovers of this world because they make you look better because they make the entire f- mm. world of fashion look exciting and creative and whatnot. And that's what, I mean, I think that's the lesson that they, sh- they should keep that in mind. It can't just be product. So. On that note... <laughs> no, I, I, I was, I, you, 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 I was just, I was quiet because I was thinking about. Um, you, you made me think about something else, um, but I have lost that train of thought. Well, listen, I keep, I, I uh, go, I plan to keep this podcast going for a while, so we can always come back for round two. Very cool. Cool. All right, thank you, Jill. I appreciate you coming on, and I hope to see you in the flesh sometime this madness is over yes well um it would be nice if paris kind of got its if, if we could all end up in paris i feel like that's the home of fashion these days again yeah yeah i agree well sometime in 2021 right 22 probably that's my, my that's my gla- that's my glass half half empty yeah that's <laughs> glass like three quarters empty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for having me thank Um, you for asking me on i didn't swear half as much as i thought i should have i know what the fuck fucking hell
Start your again, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Joe. All right, darling. Take care. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc. Intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.